Welcome now to Culture at Work on the Business Radio Network, presented by Crest Insurance with host Matt Nelson. Well, welcome everyone to today's episode of Culture at Work in Tucson, proudly presented by Crest Insurance Group, where we learn from and celebrate the leaders, businesses, and nonprofit organizations who have stood the test of Tucson time. And in the uh, case of today's show, actually, this will be uh, a group that is that is looking to expand into standing the test of Tucson time. So I'm your host, Matt Nelson of Crest Insurance, and I'm joined here at Tucson Business Radio X Studios virtually today by uh, Drew Kalstad and Ken Sloan of Agility Innovation Partners. This month to talk about innovation, a culture of innovation, and how it relates to their workplace culture and, and really the culture of the growing culture of the healthcare industry. So thank you so much, Drew and Ken, for joining us. It's, it's truly a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to a great discussion about innovation and about the healthcare system. Well, it's great to be here, Matt. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having us on today. Of course, great my pleasure. Well, so I was thinking about a way to, to, to kind of lead in to the big question that we're trying to, trying to answer around innovation in the healthcare space. And being a car guy, what came to mind for me, if I describe our healthcare system in the United States right now, um, is the example of briny, a, a bright, shiny red Ferrari with a broken transmission. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we have this absolutely massive amount of horsepower wrapped up in a very expensive package. And when it works, it delivers some of the most amazing healthcare in the world. Um, you know, if you've got a rare disease, if you've got, um, you know, a, a, an orphan condition, there are very few places in the world that you want to get treated um, rather than the United States. Um, but when it doesn't work, what you have is an expensive, flashy paperweight that can't get you down the block. And so the thought is that perhaps what we need is to replace it with something that's a little less exotic, uh, maybe a little bit more accessible, and a little bit more reliable. And so again, being a car guy, uh, it sounds like basically we need to trade our Ferrari in for a nice shiny red Corvette Z06. So from the decades you have both spent in the various segments of our industry, you know, what do you think about that analogy and how our system is or has broken over the years? And maybe, um, maybe Drew, you can kick us off from the, from the broker side. I know you've dealt with it on the, uh, on the kind of direct primary care side, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means later on in the show. But, but can you share some of your perspective, and then Ken, you can, uh, can come in over the top. Certainly. So... Boy, I really like your analogy, Matt, with the Ferrari. You know, Ferraris cost a lot of money, and uh, so does healthcare in the United States. And uh, it's, 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 you know, I've been 30 years in healthcare, and I've watched this system really kind of lose its way. And from a transparency perspective, and from cost, the way that I see it, cost, value, and price, there's no relationship. And it's hard for people to understand that. And here we buy insurance through, through employers and individually, et cetera, in this system. And even having it doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet. So your analogy about having a car that, that when you do, when the, when the chips are on the table and I need a big, big re, uh, surgery or what have you, and it's, it's, it's life or death, 
this is where I want my care rendered is in the United States. But boy, the cost piece is, is, is tricky. So can we get there with a simpler model? We, you know, a, a Corvette's not a Ferrari, but it's a pretty fancy car. So can we get there simpler, smarter, and for less? And the answer to that is yes. And I look forward to today uh, sharing about some of the exciting innovation that's that's scrambling to get into healthcare to do just that, to solve the problems we all face today in price, cost, and value, and move it over to a less expensive, simpler model that actually does more. And Ken, how about you? What, what do you think? I know, again, you've, you've spent a lot of time on the you know, really the, the financial side of healthcare and, you know, kind of working through the various delivery models uh, on the, you know, on the payer side, on the insurance company side. Uh, what, what are you, what's your thought about the analogy and about the system as a whole? Yeah, no, I, I think, Matt, I, I think about the car insurance analogy, insurance, car insurance. And um, if, if you ran a car insurance company, wouldn't you want to use technology to monitor how your insureds drove. Wouldn't you know when they used the car and wouldn't you wanna know if people used it later at night, they're more prone to have an accident, right? So, and wouldn't you want to know what choices we make as drivers that impact claims? All of those things are actually today happening in car insurance to insure that Ferrari. So technology and innovation is actually pervasive around the world and it's starting to seek its way into the insurance space and the insurance companies in various realms from health to auto to life are actually desperately trying to change the way that they relate to their customers and use technology and innovation to create a different experience. As Drew had said, it can lead to better costs and better outcomes, but you're thinking about the car analogy, it actually may not be we're driving the wrong car, but it actually, we may not have the right technology and the insurance to insure the car. <laughs> it's a little different angle on the same topic. That makes sense. Well, and so now that we've got kind of the, the big idea um, that carries us for the next 60 minutes or so. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know both you and Drew and and agility and how your organization came to be. So um, you know Drew, I know you know you and and uh, and Ken co-founded Agility. Uh, you're the chief strategy officer. Ken is the chief growth officer, and you founded it in 2018. And so both of you had decades of experience in the healthcare industry, from the consulting side to the risk management side to the delivery side. Um, obviously heavily uh, involved on both of your accounts on the financing of healthcare and the engagement uh, of members in a complicated system. And so can you, uh, can you share a little bit about what led you to both make your pivots from each of your respective spots in the industry into agility where, you know, really now your focus, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your focus is almost exclusively on finding people who finding people in companies who see problems within our healthcare system so they get the big idea and they're working on solutions and what they're encountering which is a common story at least in my experience 
when anybody tries to enact systemic change in our system, they're encountering the sheer weight of what it takes to try and affect change in such a large, complicated system. It's not so much steering the ship, it's, it's literally trying to redirect the ocean underneath it. And so, so maybe again, Drew, maybe you can kind of lead off with your background, how you came to where you're at now, and then, and then Ken, if you don't mind joining in and kind of sharing the same thing and, and why you guys decided to launch Agility and what your mission is. Great, great question, Matt. And so again, you know, following a 30-year career in healthcare, most of it uh, broker and consulting with employers, uh, taking existing solutions that, uh, and you know, moving deck chairs on the Titanic and putting some strategy to it and communication and engagement and making results marginally better. Uh, I just realized that we, we, it was a finite game and I really was looking for the infinite game. And I, I, I needed to tap out personally after 30 years doing that. I, I needed fresh air. And uh, I was the first one to step out of the boat, I think, between Ken and I. And uh, boy, I immediately started seeing amazing innovations that were coming along. And I, I, what, what I learned about them is they didn't know, it took a little while, but we, I, we realized that these innovators, as powerful as they are in their own space, an inch wide but a mile deep, they don't know how to navigate healthcare, healthcare incorporated, the, the channels of distribution, who pays for what, how to integrate into big systems. And so it was, we were blessed, I was uh, certainly with the knowledge of working that playground and making, building relationships over 30 years that allowed me to be a guide allowed us collectively as we gathered and co-founded Agility, allowed, allowed us to become guides for these innovators to get in and make the impact. So how did Agility come about? Well, there was a problem it needed fixing. There's a lot of solutions that didn't know how to find their way. And uh, collectively, we are, we're not seeking multiples of solutions. We're seeking a handful that are significant, that solve in one of two ways, removing cost, and or improving health with technology and uh, simplicity. So we've, we've uh, harnessed and, and, and found and, and contracted with three to five different solutions that we are able to now steward into the, the, uh, the ecosystem to faster, greater impact. So we're an accelerator of innovation. That, that's how it came about from my perspective and, and where I came from. So please can uh, add to that as well. I spent the last, uh, as Drew spent 30 years working directly with employers and navigating the waters of healthcare and benefits for them as they tried to, you know, attract and retain employees, manage their budgets, decide how they should invest in, you know, new widgets or new manufacturing technology versus pay for the cost of care. Those are the decisions that he was helping his clients navigate. I was working at a distribution level, calling on people like Drew, who are the innovators, uh, much like Crest Insurance, in fact, who are looking for solutions for your clients. And what healthcare companies generally struggle with is, how do I, how do I invent myself in the new world on the backs of existing systems? And at some point, they have to make an investment. 
and they don't know if that investment's going to pay off. They don't know how long it's going to pay off. And so there is a natural lethargy by some of the larger companies in that they can't always shift as quickly as those who are more nimble and those are more innovative. So there's a natural tension there. The larger the company doesn't mean the less innovative, it just means the less likely they're always able to find the solutions of tomorrow because they're built on technology generally of the past. That's a broad categorization. So what Drew and I have found is that there's hundreds of millions of dollars, Matt, as you know, that's being invested into technology to solve problems for us as consumers from insurers, employers in digital technology and the like. And so our goal is to find, as Drew mentioned, those technologies that really meet the needs of tomorrow and using that technology today. And that's really where we spend our time and we spend many, many years understanding Will they create the solutions that the consumers and employers want to purchase tomorrow, not just today? So just thinking about it in a future tense. And so that's where I think we've done a lot of our work and, and why we're excited about helping launch some of that innovation that so desperately needs to come to change the status quo of healthcare. So just a quick comment on to what Drew had already shared with you. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that um you know, again, I've been I've been working in the healthcare and, and insurance and finance industry for uh, coming up on coming up on uh, almost twenty years, right? When when I kind of roll all of the time together, and in that time period, there there's been no shortage of ideas, right? Um, I, there are lots of people that come out with lots of companies that come out with a solution and you know, there's, there's, I, I find that one of the most difficult things to do is figure out both the, the kind of the, the, whether the scope of the solution is practical and then kind of the, whether the utility, whether the cost, I guess the value of the solution is, is tenable, right? How does your organization screen innovation to figure out which technologies you feel are going to make an appreciable impact and as such are worth kind of investing time and talent into time talent and, and quite frankly money I mean you're you know I mean all of those things are, are proxies for for cost how do you segment out an industry with thousands of innovators to, to narrow it down to five and establish that those companies and their cultures and their solutions are going to be ones that are that you feel are geared up for the long haul. So <clears throat> it's true. So I'll go. Uh, I'll go first, and I'll, I'll say the, fir the first filter that I use, and this comes from uh, a 30-year journey, which is healthcare is at an inflection point right now, and we're at a tipping point in cost. Even if you have insurance, most are functionally uninsured. They can't even afford to use what they what they bought. So we're at that inflection point and there's a river and on one side of the river is status quo healthcare and it's brokenness and this functional uninsured and this runaway cost. And on the other side of the river is innovation where the world is going. And we like to look at the solutions and first of all, determine, is this a solution that relies on dysfunction to add value? 
in the status quo world, or is it on the other side and it's simple and it is a product of the future, direct contract, um, using technology, simplifying, getting more time and technology to remove cost and improve health. So does it rely on the brokenness to add value or is it creating value in the new world? So that's the filter that I love to, to start with and I, I size up innovations first to see where they are. We focus on the ones that are on the new side of the river where the world is going. Wayne Gretzky once said, you know, how did he, how did he do that? Well, he always knew where the puck was going and he was only 5'10", 160 pounds. So uh, hats off to Wayne Gretzky, but uh, that's what we're trying to do is figure out where it goes. So that's the biggest filter. And then honestly, uh, our experience collectively that Ken and I just shared is a powerful filter. And uh, second to all that or third, certainly data analytics that support it. So all of those pieces really come together and uh, good old fashioned instinct also plays a role. Matt, I, I, gosh, I wish I would have used that answer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go first next time. That's the key. <laughs> uh, now, honestly, I, I only have, I'm going to only borrow one additive from Simon Sinek, which I know all of us know on this call. And there, there is a, there is a um, fundamental belief in some of these entrepreneurs that they're driven to make a difference and their why frankly is inspirational and assuming they meet the box of the adequate financials to drew's point they're solving solutions on the green grass on the other side of the river and they're not feeding on the dysfunction of the existing space we are attracted to entrepreneurs that have the uh frankly the longevity to see the natural challenges that they will inevitably face launching to your so to your point it's not for lack of good ideas sometimes it's also for that internal motivation and that drive and their why so we help agility helps not to be uh altruistic but we help a lot of the entrepreneurs and the inventors achieve their dreams through the acceleration of those products that are needed in the market and our additional lens that we look through is just understanding their why and their vision and their mission. And that's, that's also a key component to how we vet such organizations. Well said. So as we look at, and, and I think um, this question will probably give us a good segue into one of your uh, signature initiatives, which is your partnership with Nice Healthcare. Um, but so two part question. Um, because Drew, you said, you said a, a term that, um, you know, we've talked previously, uh, you, you mentioned a term that I love, which is functionally uninsured. Um, and so what you've described with those two words is a phenomenon where somebody is participating in the healthcare space with insurance coverage, which, you know, if, if 2010, if we were to take the lesson from 2010, it was that. Um, insurance or risk transfer and the healthcare system were um, going to be joined at the hip. There was no differentiation between the financial and risk transfer side of the healthcare system and the delivery side of the healthcare system. And I, I actually don't believe that's a correct structure. Um, I think that the two have 
really wildly differing goals. But what, so what does functionally uninsured mean to you? Because to me, that sounds like an access question. That sounds like a question of, because the cost of my insurance and the cost of healthcare has grown so substantially, not only is it that the insurance I have doesn't provide me any real financial utility, but more importantly, what it sounds like is that phenomenon is denying me access into the healthcare system, which brings with it its own financial consequences, which are that I defer care. And as such, I become more expensive when I have to interact with the healthcare system. So is that a fair characterization? Am I missing anything? And, and how do the solutions that your organization um, is vetting and, and helping to promote, how do those solve that issue? Well, so I think I think first of all, it's it's fair to say that that yeah, you you get this insurance, but you can't afford to use it. And I, and I want to frame this with you know, there's a there's a there's a problem, there's an enemy, if you will, and it's complexity. It's complexity and a lack of transparency in our healthcare system. And I'll, I'll start with this analogy, this little story. When I, um, I have a, I, my daughter was born in 1997. I launched one of my brokerage businesses in 1995, just before that. And I sold a product with then Prudential Healthcare. It was a brand new group product and it was awesome. Uh, $67 single rate and a $210 family rate. <laughs> and I sold it off of a Dindex card. It was pre-printed. And my daughter, who was born in 97, came and it was a $10, she was a $10 baby. And so when I, as a broker, when I showed people, there are, these are the plans, and this is the one where you get $10 babies. <laughs> Look at today. So how in the world could we go from then? If you would have asked me then that we would be talking about five and six and $700 single rates and two to 2000 to $2,500 family rates before we even use the insurance. And then there's six, $6,000 deductibles and out of pocket. So we, the system has lost its way with 30 years of compound inflation. And so we've learned that what we have is, is it's insurance for the worst. So 10% of the people drive 90% of the cost, not because they're bad people, but because the system is built around financing sickness and that's where they make their money. The system does. So there's just some major fundamental flaws that having insurance, especially if you're on the exchange or individual insurance, you spend 30,000 for insurance and you got another 15 exposure, that's $45,000 after tax if you're an entrepreneur a year. So that's, that's, that's the problem. And so we're, we're inspired with a why to solve for that. And it's exciting when we'll talk here in a few minutes how, how much value can be put into a small package when you've done it right with two words, two new words, ethical margin. And I'll, I'll leave it at that and punt over to my friend Ken. Yeah, Matt, I think, I think the, um, if we were to start all over, if we were to start all over, and it's hard to imagine sometimes because of what we know today, but it's, you know, as you well know, it's almost 20% of GDP. Going to your car analogy, it's the equivalent of, I don't know, $40 a gallon of gas for whatever car you're driving. It's, it's reached an epidemic proportion. If we were to start all over, and, and many would argue we should, 
we would start with preventative care and we would start investing in things that we know are foundational to the health and wellness of families today. And um, I almost feel like there does, there does need to be an entire rethinking of healthcare from the ground up. And so that's my additive comment to that question. Well, so I think that brings us to, um, you know, uh, the question I had kind of percolating as I'm leading up to this, and maybe we can use it for color as we talk about what nice healthcare does. Um, so one of the things that has always amazed me um, throughout my career is, you know, when I look at the delivery of healthcare, and, and um, I'm fortunate to have, uh, you know, a brother who is a practitioner, and so he's heavily involved. Um, you know, he, he gives me lots of insight from the provider side. Um, it makes for some very interesting Thanksgiving conversations, as I am on the evil empire side on the on the insurance industry. Um, and then my sister is, uh, you know, she was a, a trauma nurse, uh, and uh, so now she actually works in kind of establishing clinical best practices for, for hospitals. And um, so we've got, in, in, in my family, we've got a lot of healthcare experience. And one of the things that has, that I've just marveled at is I look at the amount of technological innovation that has occurred in the delivery of healthcare. And it is mind blowing um, how sophisticated our healthcare providers can be. The things that used to be death sentences as little as, I mean, we're talking, this isn't even a generation of change. This is a change that's measured in terms of maybe a decade. You know, I've, I've, lost, two, I've lost two parents to cancer and um, I, my, my wife has a fairly rare autoimmune disorder that requires a tremendously complex treatment um, and, and was a very scary course um, kind of getting to the point where we realized that, that this was treatable. Um, and so when you see that amazing level of innovation and sophistication, when all of the smart people in the room are working together on something, and then I look at how many smart people I know on the finance side, on the, on the, the risk transfer side, and yet this side of the business just seems to have really struggled with the idea of technological innovation. And, and I'm not sure if it's kind of like a Tower of Babel problem where nobody's speaking the same language, if it's a kind of an inertia problem like you had mentioned earlier, Drew, where it's just, you know, we've got decades of systems and legacy arrangements that have just been fully resistant to change. And candidly, I think there's probably a little profit motive built in there that, that leads to some of that resistance to change. So if you look at that amazing dichotomy between the adoption of technology in the provision of healthcare and the really, let's say, lack of technological innovation on the financial side of healthcare, and if we assume that there are smart people on both sides, do you have any thoughts as to why such a strong dichotomy exists? And then maybe we can use that as a segue to talk about how nice healthcare is really deploying technology and, and by making the innovations on the delivery side with the finances in mind, how they've been able to pack so much benefit into 
as we'll get into more specifically, such a low cost and provide such a high value input into the system. Ken, you want to fire away first? Yeah, no, I just, um, Matt, I think that that's such an interesting uh, juxtapose. And um, I, I think the, if we were to just look at how, it, I, I use the story, we need to go buy something. We've never, we're in a new area and we need to go find a new restaurant. And we're, our, the tools that we have available to us are a yellow page and a map. So we have a yellow page and a map. We're hungry and we're not sure because we're in a new area what we should use, what, how much it'll cost and what's on the menu. Just, just think about that for a moment. I know that that's hard to envision because <laughs> we, we actually all probably use either Yelp or Nextdoor or something to say, what does other people think? How much does it cost? What's the reviews? How far is it from me? So if we just look at that, just that right there, that's what the hope and the promise of that technology can do if it were applied to the user experience, which is backing the comment I said earlier, if we were to start all over again, wouldn't you want to have an experience with your provider, your, one of your um, relatives, your brother, et cetera? in such a way that I leveraged the best of the personal care that that physician or that practitioner provides, but also leveraging the technical experience that can be provided uh, using new consumer tools. So that I, I say that as a way to tee up what Drew would share next to answer that question. So adding to that, you know, the healthcare ecosystem is not a healthcare system at all. It's an amalgamation of interdependent profit centers that have been adding, they've been crowding in for 30 years of my journey that I've watched. And each one of them has find their own little niche to contribute. And, uh, and indeed there's, there's layers of cost, layers of profit, and they're inter interdependent. And so there is a status quo and it's very powerful and very powerful stakeholders are winning because they built the system the way it is. So that's, that's the problem is, is, and then so needing to just break that down and get to the other side and, and, and having the courage to just get to the other side, simplify. It's amazing how simple, simple can be. And at the same time, using technology, um, the iPhone, you know, <laughs> And I, I was, I'm not a millennial. There's, not a, there's very few buttons on here. But we can do a lot of things. And even I figured that out without buttons. <laughs> so the world can go forward with ultra simplicity and cost and transparency. The lack of transparency in healthcare today is a fundamental issue. Uh, we're going to a restaurant. We might once a year decide, my wife and I, it's, a, it's an anniversary dinner. And we're going to have a steak and we're going to go to a nice place and we're just going to have wine. We're going to I'd like red wine, please. Well, we got a bottle and there's a, we don't, doesn't have a label. And is that a $60 Pinot Noir from Napa or Willamette? Or is that a 1978, you know, Silver Oak for $4,000? And I'm not going to know until they bring me the bill. 
<laughs> and so healthcare transparency is, is needed. And the tools that bring that and allow to guide us, like that restaurant analogy Kevin said. So it's bringing those forces together to solve some of the biggest problems, which are actually simple to solve. So we're at the uh, we're at the bottom half of the hour. So we want to take a quick break, and then we will talk about nice healthcare. So for those of you who are just joining us, this is Culture at Work in Tucson, proudly presented by Crest Insurance, as the largest locally owned and operated insurance brokerage in Southern Arizona, and one of the top 100 insurance agencies in the United States. Crest is your hometown broker to assist with commercial insurance, workers' compensation, and employee health insurance plans. I'm your host, Matt Nelson, and now back to our conversation with Drew Kalistad and Ken Sloan of Agility Innovation Partners. So let's talk about Nice Healthcare then. So Nice Healthcare, um, you know, and, and I've got the, the privilege of the cheat sheet in front of me, but um, so Nice Healthcare is a, is a really cool concept where basically what we've got is we've got the accessibility to care that technology would fuel if you know, if we could build healthcare from the ground up, right, with our current technology, where you've got um, access to a primary care physician through your phone, and for the things that you can't handle through the phone, um, you've got accessibility to a primary care provider in your home. And this is all powered by the technology and the systems that that, in, that exist completely independent of the healthcare system as we would think about it through the lens of insurance, right? But that's not really just it, because it's, you know, there's, there's, telemedicine has been out for a long time. We've had telemedicine for a long time. And, and you know, Drew uh, and, and Ken, as much, you know, you guys both know as much as I do that utilization of telemedicine um, is horribly low. Um, people generally, there isn't a ton of trust that it actually provides value for the, for the member. Um, you know, there isn't a ton that it can do. So what makes nice healthcare different and, and how does this solve that fundamental issue of kind of getting people to engage with the system when the cost basis for that engagement is low? How, how does this square that circle? I'm kind of itching on this one. Do you mind if I go first? <laughs> Not at all. Hang on, my dog's having to, so forgive me that we've got the, the, uh, the Zoom effect. So there's a show on TV I watched for a few years. It's called Alone. And it's on Vancouver Island, which is one of the largest islands on the planet. And on the north end, it's this very remote place. And they go drop people in the woods alone. And, the per and there's like 10 of them. And the, first the last person to tap out wins a million bucks. So they're given a list of 20 things that they can choose from. So you can have a hatchet, you can have a, a net for catching fish because you're on a coastline, you can have a tarp, you know, and so on. So there's 20 things. And you've got to pick like 10. So each person gets to pick their favorite 10. And they're minimalists and they got to go live in the woods. So what I think telemedicine is in that backdrop, imagine if you were on a deserted island like, like Castaway, Tom Hanks. And if you had a Swiss Army knife. I would say the Swiss Army knife is like telemedicine. Imagine not having a Swiss Army knife to having one. But then imagine having a Swiss Army knife and an axe and a little boat <laughs> and a sail. And you know, if you're him, or if you're on Vancouver Island, you get a tarp because of the rain and all that stuff. So if you were building healthcare 
that was more than the Swiss Army knife. If you could have unlimited house calls, unlimited virtual calls with a doctor, unlimited and free medications, 550 medications, unlimited physical therapy, unlimited labs and x-ray, and the core essentials. Imagine if you could have those in the bundle. You know, what would you pick? And I'll tell you, nice healthcare, I reference them randomly here, but those are the elements of nice healthcare for the price of a Swiss Army knife. And it's amazing when you bring it down to very simple needs. If you take care of the human instincts, the human needs at primary care level, much of the expensive stuff doesn't happen. So I believe that uh, to your now, you're at your question, Matt, how is it different? You can call the doctor, but there's so much more to it. They packed in more value into a small package than any health solution we've seen in 30 years. And how do they, and maybe this is a great question to kind of throw over to Ken. So all of those things through 20 years of being involved this, in this industry, I start adding up the price of one primary care visit. I add up the price of a medication. You know, I throw in the price of a simple blood test, um, maybe a, a, a one plate x-ray to, to verify if somebody has, you know, a broken arm. And I'm looking at a claim picture in the multiple hundreds of dollars range, right? And, you know, you and I both know, I mean, there have been solutions out there that have tried to address the issue of access into, um, into primary care, you know, concierge medicine memberships, direct mm-hmm. primary care, businesses building their own healthcare clinics at, tr- at enormous capital investment cost. So, Ken, how, how did Nice Healthcare find a way to put all these things into a package for a price that is accessible so that we don't wind up with the same issue of people being functionally uninsured because the Ferrari can't get them down the road to the gas station? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a good question, Matt. I mean, I, I think the answer lies in their motive and their mission is to not maximize the profits for their shareholders it's actually to build a morally indefensible product, which means no matter how you shake it upside down, no matter how you look at it, it's just full of value. And I think that's one is just what motivates them from a company. The second is, as they grow their membership and they've grown, I believe uh, 30 to 40% year over year. And probably into this next year, they should even double in size with a recent expansion of capital. So it, it's likely that um, they're able to negotiate on better, uh, on behalf more aggressively for their members as the membership grows. So that's how I would probably position the answer to that question, is, is they're motivated not by maximizing profit, but making it more affordable and more valuable to the members that they serve. Now, this seems interesting because, so when I think about, um, you know, healthcare is one of the few arenas where the discussion seems to have kind of, people have gotten so fed up with the dysfunction in the healthcare system that, you know, the discussion has shifted from, can we innovate our way out of the problem that we're in to, nope, you know what, we need to level the entire system and, you know, and replace it. Um, Walk me through as, you know, as we think about the, 
the context of this month being that innovation and a culture of innovation um, is kind of how we lean into problems. And, and the thing that's incredible to me is I think about any other problem that, uh, at least historically, I can think that we've faced as a country. And we've just defaulted to the understanding that, no, we, the way out of this is we, we address the failed incentives and then we innovate our way out of the problem as opposed to blowing the whole thing up and you know or, or transferring it back into a legacy system that happens to be founded on the exact same problems it's just bigger and you know bureaucratized but can can you guys talk a little bit about perhaps why you think innovation is the path forward as opposed to just leveling the entire thing and, and starting over and I know that's a big esoteric question, but um, but I would love to hear your perspective on it, especially from, from the context or from the lens of innovation that your organization views all of the healthcare space through. So I'll I'll throw a I'll throw a response here to that. So today's today's healthcare is is indirect. You know, we as employers they buy insurance from large health plans. We have provider networks that we use or incentivized to use, and there's this big, big infrastructure. But and there's layers, there's layers to to get. It's like the it's like the military, the expensive toilet seat, right? And we don't need that. So the it's not throwing out the providers. It's not what we need to start over is just push the accordion together and allow the people that need the care to meet directly with the provider, take the middle people out. And direct primary care, direct hospital employer contracting, direct, 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 uh, those middle layers are unnecessary. Once upon a time, they were necessary. With technology, they're not. So it's really breaking down the elements that don't need to be there, taking out the ballast that doesn't need to be. And so it, once we can do that honorably, objectively, authentically, and just take it down to the bare essentials, that survivor list, that's how you get down to it and, and remove the stakeholders in between that don't add value, they simply pull revenue. So I think, I think that's, that's more the answer that I would say is just really distilling it down to the earnings per share the least common denominator and just go forward with the, the bare essentials for and go back to the basics of, of, of prevention and primary care. Makes sense. Ken, Ken, what do you think? You know, again, through the through the lens of nice healthcare and what they're doing, I mean, how does innovating our way out of this provide more value than, you know, flattening everything and, and kind of starting over? Um, Matt, I don't think flattening and starting all over universally would ever happen. And even though that's what may we, maybe what we'd want or desire if we were to choose so. But uh, I'm gonna go back to your car analogy. Credit Karma started years ago as a free way to engage consumers to understand their credit. And they've grown to a massive organization, primarily on data and technology, but being entirely focused on the consumer and now you can buy cars through there, you can access auto insurance, and you can even get better auto loans through Credit Karma. This is not a commercial for Credit Karma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But what you see that they've done is they've actually created an innovation platform that's now forcing change to existing industries. And the parallel to nice healthcare, I see what they've created as a platform and an experience that is far, far superior and far more consumer friendly than that of most of the existing healthcare systems. So it's through that innovation where you highlight something that is amazing for a consumer, both in value and the experience of connecting with a provider and then having them come to your home. Who does not want that today? I mean, honestly, in a post-COVID world, don't we want an experience like that? So that innovation stands up as a inspiration, I think, that can be replicated through others. And it will force the necessary change over time through some of those existing structures because it's forcing competitive differentiation that are now is going to have to uh, create a, hopefully a ripple effect. So that, that would be how I would answer that. You know, I love what you did there because one of the things that um, I've, I've long maintained is that the, 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 the member, the healthcare consumer, um, really has kind of lost its position as, as the customer, right? Um, you know, mm. because of the way that our system has been structured, when, you know, when, when, a, when a person walks into a provider's office, the, the big check is not coming most of the time from the from the member, right? I mean, the big check is coming from the insurance company. And um, the way I heard it, it was elegantly described to me once that um, if, if you aren't paying the, the bulk of the cost for the service, then you are not the customer, you are the product, right? And one of the things that has kind of amazed me about, you know, the, the, the time that I've spent in the healthcare field is that you know, really the system is designed such that the member going through the healthcare system and interacting with it is the role that they've been kind of reduced to is they're the widget that's being pushed through on a conveyor belt, right? And they're being acted upon. And as more and more people have started to realize that, of course, predictably, the frustration with the system has risen, right? And that's happened in different ways, perhaps over the last 30 years or so. But but the frustration has been the same, which is people are feeling like they lack the connection to probably the most personal thing you can have in interacting with the system, which is your health. So this technology, walk me through a member's experience with this technology and perhaps how this changes that dynamic to where the member is again the customer um, and, and the provider and the member are having a, a relationship between the two of them that's satisfactory as opposed to one where they're simply throughput for a provider's office. And, and I'll throw that one up as an open one. I, I see Drew smiling and I know he loves these types of questions. So maybe <laughs> he's, punt, he's punting it over to me. Wow. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Well, let me take the ball and run with that, Matt. I mean, the advent of consumerism in every other market is such a powerful force. And I think that you're hitting on a point that's near and dear to my heart which is consumerism in healthcare is, is on the rise and consumers will have a heavier demand, which will fuel innovation. To the point about nice healthcare, it's forward thinking in its technology because it uses, it's, it's built on its own chassis all around the member experience. So there's a company that's been with nice healthcare that has a hundred employees 
they had 8,000 chats between their employees and the provider at Nice Healthcare over a three-year period. 8,000 interactions. I, I dare ask the question, how many of us on the call have had one interaction with our provider in the last month, let alone eight months? And that is not, a, that is not directed at providers, it's directed at technology. So with video, chat, with smartphones, creating an experience that is in the moment when I need it, I have access to someone who can help me is amazing. So that's the first leg of it. And the second is they've created almost a back to the future. When we, when we grew up, you know, healthcare, you, you, you had a 30 to 40 minute visit with your provider. Most people have a five to 10 minute experience with their provider, not because the provider doesn't want to spend time with their patient, but they've got hundreds or thousands of other people they need to see in a period of time. And they've got so much paperwork to do to manage that client experience. So if you think about what NICE has created is they've leveraged technology to the teeth, but then they've created this personal relationship between the caregiver and the member and their entire family. And, and Matt, we know, and you know this, especially with your work in that market in Arizona, the rise of mental health disorders is unparalleled. And, and primary care and a relationship with a caregiver is fundamental. And so I, I, I'm passionate about this because I see that this is a way to re-engage the consumer and have a better experience and that will lead to better care and it'll also lead to lower costs. So a little bit about how they've created their model and the experience inside of NICE. Drew, over to you to add any comment about other uh, prescriptions and other such services that they do. Sure, so for, every, for those on the call today, we've, we've talked a lot about it and maybe you've gone to their website to learn, but what, what NICE Healthcare is, is it's direct primary care, it's a mobile clinic. So it's a doctor's office without the brick and mortar and with technology and it mo it's mobile and it comes to you. So when you only need technology, that's how you connect with them. When they wanna see you, when you wanna see them, they're at your door in one to four hours. House calls for free, unlimited for your entire family. So unlimited house calls, unlimited virtual care technology, unlimited prescription use, 550, 60% of all prescriptions in play today for America, 60% of them, not the most expensive, but the most important, uh, are free. X-ray, lab, 80 lab uses, free. Uh, virtual live physical therapy. 30% of all primary care visits need, uh, involve a musculoskeletal complaint, war wounds, sporting wounds, sleep injuries, for those of us that have had a few more birthdays. Um, and you need just physical therapy to work something out. All of that is included for $36 for a family for a month. You so can what probably make, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. So I was gonna say, so, what you, so essentially, if I think about this then, because technology and because we're still as a system using the yellow pages and our and our paper map to navigate the system, all of those costs, where do they go right now? 
since they're not accessible and easy for the member? Where do they wind up? Well, what is so that each, system? Each of those costs, because we have what's predominantly today called a fee-for-service system. So if you go get a physical and I go get a physical from the same doctor and he does five tests on you and 30 on me, he makes more money on me. So the system is fouled because it, it invent more is better for unfortunately for the system. All right. So the dollars, when you go to see a physical, it's, you know, an, an adult male mid fifties physical is seven, $800. When you got the doctor, when you've got the pharmacy, you got the labs, the, all of the pieces, all those pieces come up to seven or $800. And, they don't need to, but the fee for service. So that goes against a health plan. And we generally don't see those costs until six weeks later when an EOB shows up. So big picture, those costs are not, they're not right. Uh, complete blood count, $3 CBC test. And the fee for service world bumps that up to $250. $3 becomes 250 At Nice Healthcare, $3 goes to zero. Um, an EKG, I've seen them as high as several thousand dollars. They're free. So I could go on, but the fee-for-service system, it, it feeds. It will take every dollar. It will take every dollar we give it. And uh, the truth is so many of these services could just be bundled up in a core package like this. And Nice Healthcare has done it. They, they've, they've cracked the code on a core fundamental foundational primary care program that is healthcare not insurance it is healthcare not insurance i'm i'm excited to i mean the again the topic for this for this month being innovation and the fact that the need for innovation in our healthcare system is so high um i'm excited first off to hear about what nice is doing uh, and i'm excited to hear that there are organizations like yours like agility that are actively seeking um, these types of solutions and vetting them to find out which are worthy of investment, which, which solve real problems and you know, that, that we should as a system be looking to adopt. Um, so I guess if people want to learn more about this solution, and, and this is where I'll, I'll drop a, a small Crest plug, I generally avoid big Crest plugs, but um, you know, one of the things that Crest has, has done is, um, and, and I'm tremendously proud to say it, is we have really tried to lean in to technology and finding partners who are trying to do things the right way. Um, as a company, that's kind of our motto is if we do well, we will do good and we carry that forward into the community. So, um, you know, I just, uh, if people want to learn more about Nice Healthcare, where can they do that? Um, and then, uh, and then we'll go ahead and we will, uh, we will wrap our show up for today. So, so you can share a little bit about where they can find more about nice healthcare and perhaps even some of the other solutions and innovations that your firm is looking at in the healthcare space. Either or Ken, you want to take that one? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Matt. I, I think relative to nice healthcare, um, anyone listening to this call could certainly go to nice.healthcare.com or they could actually visit Crest Insurance because uh, we've chosen to only find the broker partners and the consulting firms in various markets that we believe are in fact leaning forward and adopting innovation and technology for their clients. So either Crest, yourself and your team, or nicehealthcare.com would be the answer to that. 
our website is www.jillainnovationpartners.com for more to learn to learn more about types of innovation that we see and that we're vetting in this year and next year. Perfect. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Um, Drew, Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to share with us a little bit about just you know larger discussions about the healthcare system, but also about the work that uh, your organization and your partners are doing in the industry. Um, again, really excited to see this culture of innovation and this um, demand for innovation continue to get fostered. Uh, it's, it's definitely sorely needed. So um, for all those of you who are uh, joining us on the podcast, thank you for your time as well. We truly appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing for, or to speaking with you next month at Culture at Work in Tucson. This is Matt Nelson. I'm signing off. Join Matt for another interesting Culture at Work podcast right here on Tucson Business Radio X dot com.